So many amazing people have been born in Kentucky. So many. Willa Brown, Alberta Jones, George Clooney. But they can't all be winners. They can't all go on to become decorated aviators, award-winning actors, and amateur podcasters. No, some of them have to be villains. Today, I'm going to tell you a story about one of the bad guys from Kentucky, a man named Boone Helm. Now, you all may have heard of him. A friend of mine asked me maybe a month ago if I had heard of him, and I said, well, yeah, that name sounds very familiar. And I couldn't pinpoint where I'd heard that name. And then I figured it out. Several of you all have mentioned this name to me um, because Boone Helm is the Kentucky Cannibal. This episode mentions violent assault, rape, murder, and cannibalism. Listener discretion advised. I want to start by telling you about another guy. His name is Dutch Fred, okay? Dutch Fred was a miner out west. Uh, He was well-respected, honest. He kept his composure in heated situations. He would even sometimes help the police break up fights. Um, He did drink, and when he drank, he gambled. And when he gambled, well, he usually won. Um, He was a big guy. And even though he usually wasn't looking for trouble, sometimes trouble would find him. Uh, other drunk guys, he would, they would pick fights with him, and he would have no choice but to fight back to defend himself. This was Oregon in the 1860s. A lot of unruliness and just general debauchery, whether you wanted to be a part of it or not. And he was a good fighter. Picking a fight with Dutch was a losing proposition. And part of the reason he was well-respected was because the public knew that he could easily kill the people who fought him if he wanted to, but he never did. He always spared their lives. And I guess there and then, that was about as virtuous as you could get. Boone Helm, on the other hand, he was different from Dutch in that way. To quote The Kentucky Cannibal by Ryan Green, Boone Helm, quote, didn't let his worst nature rule him by choice. He simply didn't have a better nature to appeal to. Now, by the time Helm arrived in Florence, Oregon, the locals knew he wasn't someone they wanted as a permanent resident. So most of the locals wanted to get rid of him. But there was this handful of men who thought, oh, we might be able to use you to our advantage. So This group of guys intercepted Boone as he rode into Florence and basically recruited him for a job they needed done. So they took Boone out to this ranch, they gave him a bunch of whiskey, got him good and drunk, and they had him tell stories all about his crimes and all the terrible stuff he'd done. Now the job they needed him to do, this was part of a revenge plot against Dutch Fred. Okay, so all these guys had trouble with Dutch Fred in the past, at one time or another. They all shared a common hatred of Dutch Fred. And so they were like, hey, listen, Boone, we would love it if you would go ahead and just uh, just murder this guy for us. We're sick of him. Um, and they gave Boone the impression that whoever killed Dutch Fred would basically be the king of the town. Um, which, by the way, was a fairly rich mining town 
with a seemingly endless supply of prostitutes and liquor, which were some of Boone's favorite things. Uh, They also offered a reward of $5. So Boone, and I'm going to call him by his first name because Helm doesn't roll off the tongue as well, and I'm going to say it over and over. So Boone shook their hands, and he headed into town, into downtown Florence, Oregon. Boone found Dutch Fred gambling in a saloon. Apparently, Boone says something like, You and me, Dutch, let's get to the street and settle this like men. You've spent enough time shoveling dirt. It's long past time somebody shoveled some on top of you. Now, I don't know if that's a real quote, but that was in the book. So, Um, so the two men, um, they're both drunk, okay? And they're both armed, yeah. And they start to head outside. But the other people in the bar and the employees of the bar, they tackle both men. They disarm them. And they're like, you're not, you're not going to do this. This is dumb. So now both guys are just standing there like, now what do we do? And then in a strange turn of events, Boone apologizes. And Dutch Fred just kind of lets it go and says, yeah, it's fine. I'd rather play cards anyway. So Boone left the bar after that but he came back a few hours later he sat at the bar he asked for his revolver back he said he had business to attend to and he was leaving town he just needed his gun before he left and it was apparent he'd sobered up in those few hours and so without thinking twice the bartender gave him his gun bad move he turned around and fired right at Dutch Fred. The first shot clipped the arm of Dutch Fred's chair. So Fred stood up and he just stared at Boone. And what he was going to do was say, hey, you can't just shoot at an unarmed man. Um, But again, that would only be an issue for a man with morals. And morals were something Boone Helm did not have. So he fired his second shot right through Dutch Fred's heart. So now that you have an idea of the man Boonhelm becomes, let's talk a little bit about his background. Nancy and Joseph Helm both came from large families. They traveled all over Kentucky, wherever they could find work as unskilled laborers, which meant leaving their big families and never really putting down roots of their own. For a while, they landed in Lincoln County, which is pretty much central Kentucky, sort of south of Lexington. So Joseph and Nancy found some work in Lincoln County. It was a pretty good place to be. Uh, They could easily acquire some land. It was a prospering part of town and a decent enough place to give birth to your eighth child. Levi Boone Helm was born on January 28, 1828. Three more kids would come after Boone in a three-year span. That's 11 kids total. Uh, lots of mouths to feed, but that's, uh, that's what you did in 1828. Now, even though they had some land and they could farm a little bit, they just weren't doing very well. Um, I think it's safe to say they lived in poverty. They just couldn't get ahead. They were just getting by. 
And so they heard about this opportunity in Missouri, so they packed up what little they had and headed west. They got another parcel of land. They were near a little town. Uh, They were also near the unexplored frontier, so some level of uncertainty there, a little bit of danger even, but a better chance at making some real money. Their land also backed up to the Santa Fe Trail, which was a route for men heading west for the gold rush. So a lot of strange men traveling through their area pretty much constantly. Um, It did end up being a good move for them, though, financially. They started to finally be able to save a little bit, to feel a little more comfortable, and they felt like they could actually stay there, put down roots. And the Helm family came to be well-liked in their community. They were hard workers, and Nancy would teach the Missouri wives those good Kentucky recipes. And Boone seemed to be doing okay. Uh, He was a big kid for his age, so when he was 10, he was the same size as most of the teenagers in town. He was muscular, he was tall, and he was very eager to learn all about stalking and trapping animals on the prairie. He was very into hunting and killing and torturing also. Um, And I'm not, I can't talk about it. I can't talk about that at all. Uh, But yeah, torturing animals. So Boone was also very concerned with fitting in and proving himself and sort of being a man in the eyes of his older peers. So he was quick to start fights. And he wasn't afraid to fight someone bigger than he was. And he was a really tough, sort of ruthless fighter. I mean, you did not want to mess with this kid. It's the kind of thing where... With other boys, uh, once they had someone down on the ground, like, bleeding, they'd stop, right? Like, you'd won the fight, it was over. Boone never stopped. He'd have to be pulled off of his opponents or else they feared he would kill them. And he really didn't seem to care what anyone thought about his cold demeanor. He, He didn't seem to mind being a little alienated. But he did like being the center of attention, in a way. He would perform stunts on horseback in town. He would put on wrestling and boxing matches, and he would challenge adult men and beat them. Of course, girls started noticing all this. Uh, They became interested in, quote, taming the local wild man. Uh, So he was getting some good attention from the girls, but not so much from his family. Uh, His dad was literally afraid of him. And really just kind of stayed out of his way and didn't talk to him because he didn't want to fight. His brothers avoided him for the same reason. And his mom was just very upset about how he was acting and just the man he was becoming. The other thing was, all of Boone's siblings had plans, more or less. They knew what jobs they wanted. His sisters were starting to date and make plans for families. And he was sort of getting left behind in that regard. One night, (laughs) one night the sheriff was after Boone. Uh, Boone had been in a bar fight, and they had a warrant for Boone's arrest. But Boone resisted, and he ran away from the sheriff. He rode his horse into the town square, burst into the courthouse on horseback, apparently while they were in session, and yelled at the judge, 
for putting his name on a warrant. And I guess that was enough for the judge to say, okay, we won't mess with you anymore. Just please leave us alone and don't ride your horse in here again. But yeah, just um, blatant disregard for rules and the law and Boone's hatred of the law and law enforcement really grew after this incident, so much so that he wanted that sheriff dead. Anyway, at 20 years old, Boone was still struggling with a plan for his life, as most of the rest of his siblings had moved on to greener pastures. He still lived on the family farm, eating the meals his mother prepared for him. He was stalled. And he needed to figure out how to grow up and get out of there and start a life. Enter Lucinda Browning. Boone dated plenty of girls. That bad boy charm, you know. But Lucinda appears to be the one he really wanted. And she wasn't giving it up for him, which really drove him crazy. She was 17, she had plenty of suitors, but eventually Boone convinced her that he was marriage material, and she said yes. Both families gave them the go-ahead, and so they got hitched in the very same courthouse that Boone had barged into on horseback a few months prior. But it was not the romantic wedding night one might hope for. Boone got bombed at their reception and had to be helped into their newly purchased home. And he was really awful to her. He raped her on their first full day of marriage. And everything had to be perfect or he would respond with violence. So while she stayed home trying to be the perfect homemaker, Boone spent most of his time drinking and gambling. The only money they really had coming in was from Lucinda's parents, who just felt bad for her at this point. It wasn't unusual for her to be seen in town with black eyes, but back then, there wasn't really anything her family or the law could do. Uh, you, you just didn't intervene in a man's marriage. It's believed that around this time, uh, early in their marriage, is when Boonhelm turned into a full-blown alcoholic, and the bill was exorbitant. He would also <laughs> he would also ride his horse into their house and then yell at her for the house not being clean. So she, every day she would spend all day cleaning up after this stupid horse that he is bringing into the house and then he would just bring it back in the next night. It's bananas. So Lucinda was essentially helpless, stuck in this marriage, and the only silver lining came when she learned that Boone was going to leave town for a while to go on some coal mining trip with friends. That meant a month without rape or being thrown up on or punched in the face. It was an appreciated reprieve. Unfortunately, it was during that month that Lucinda missed her period. And it was in that moment that she realized if this baby was going to have a fighting chance, she would have to divorce Boone, no matter how shameful such a thing was back then. She filed before he even got back in town. And Boone couldn't afford a lawyer, and he didn't have anyone willing to testify for his character. He had nothing. He lost his wife, and his unborn child, and his house. 
back to the single life he went. And the plan was for him to go back to his family's farm, where mom made dinner and he could do as he pleased. Well, turns out they'd packed up and moved on without him. The farmhouse was abandoned. Now, this is really very sad. What had happened was Boone's dad, Joseph Helm, had helped pay for Lucinda's divorce lawyer and had given Lucinda a bunch of money basically as child support because he knew his son was never going to contribute. And all of that, helping Boone's wife get away from him, bankrupted the Helm family. It's so sad. So their land was put up for auction by the bank, and his parents got on a train back east. His siblings had all moved on with their lives. So what was next for Boone Helm? He did some research, and he found out he had some cousins nearby in Missouri, so he, quote, leached onto them. He borrowed loans from them. Uh, He became a bad influence on them. They were otherwise good guys who he started taking out to drink and gamble all hours of the night. Meanwhile, they talked to him about all the opportunity there was in the California gold rush. But he was skeptical, and he thought, I don't know, it sounds like a lot of work. But uh, the idea of getting out of town did start to look more appealing because the sheriff was all over him. And he also couldn't get a date because all the women in town, and even so far as where he'd gone, this new town, he had a reputation now. Everybody knew him not only as a troublemaker, but as a wife beater and someone who won't support his wife financially. So nobody wanted him around, the sheriff was looking for him, and his cousin started cutting him off financially. Except for this one cousin, who, who they, they got close. Uh, so he had this one cousin named Littleberry Shoot, a second cousin, and they became drinking buddies. But Littleberry always knew to leave early, because nothing good happens after midnight, you know? But Boone had kind of latched himself on to Littleberry, and decided that he was going to have to be his travel companion. Because Boone knew it was better to have someone on the road with you, Um, The only problem was he couldn't get Littleberry to commit to going on this journey with him. Then, after weeks of trying to convince him, Boone finally got his cousin drunk enough to shake on it to agree to go with him. So Boone packed, and he got ready to go, and he went to pick up his cousin to start their journey west. Problem. When he arrived... Littleberry told him he was drunk when he made that agreement and that he had no intention of really leaving with Boone. Before he knew it, there was a bowie knife jammed into his heart. Boone checked to see if he had actually killed his cousin. Um, Littleberry was definitely dead. So he skimmed the house for valuables, and on his own, Boone left for California. Now, When you leave for the Wild West without any sort of careful plan or supplies or companions, you might run into some trouble. It's not a leisurely journey. So Boone found himself running out of supplies quickly, and the terrain was extremely difficult. After a few days, he had to abandon his horse and walk. 
By then, the sheriff had found his cousin's body, and a posse had been put together to search for Boone Helm. So not only is he on this treacherous journey, he's also on the run. The only thing working in Boone's favor was that he'd strayed from any sort of actual trail, so he would have been really hard to find, but not impossible. They found him in a riverbed trying to suck the moisture from the mud. He was fairly emaciated by that point, and I think he was ready to admit to anything if it meant getting a warm meal in prison. After being out in the wilderness totally unprepared for a while, they said that the man they brought back that night was not the same man who killed his cousin. He didn't sleep, he was extremely thin and weak and would just ramble on, not really making any sense. He jumped at noises and shadows, uh, just kind of the shell of a man. And so they considered him a lunatic, unfit to stand trial. And a doctor signed papers to consign Boone to a lifetime of medical rehabilitation. And you, you sure wish that the story just ended there, but it doesn't. We are just getting started. So once he started to get healthier, he realized that keeping up this facade of being passive and insane and weak, that it could really work to his advantage. So he, he continued this act, and at this medical rehab facility, he became the model patient. Calm, quiet, respectful but restless. He would pace in his cell, and anytime he was outside, he would ask to relieve himself by a bunch of willow trees, sort of off the main path. And he had gotten really friendly and trusted by all the guards, so they would let him. And this would become a regular thing he could do. So one evening, he asked if he could run out and go to the restroom by these trees, and he did, and he never came back. And the orderly who let him go that night didn't want to get in trouble, so he didn't report Boone missing and gave him a huge head start in getting away. Now, this asylum was in the middle of nowhere by design. So they didn't expect him to last long out there. I mean, they figured without money, supplies, or help, he'd be found dead or just never at all. But that's not what happened. Boone came across a prospector headed for California. And this guy took Boone in. He gave him water. He let him stay in his camp with him. But he first started getting suspicious when Boone didn't offer to help him with anything. Like, no help with setting up or hunting or anything. And then he caught Boone going through his stuff, looking for valuables. And that was a problem. So, there was a confrontation, a little fight, and ultimately, this guy ends up dead. So now, Boone had all this guy's supplies, his clothes, things were looking up. He continued his journey out of Missouri the next morning, and apparently Boone was really satisfied with that murder because it becomes quite a pattern for him. Uh, 
Uh, at first, he murdered out of necessity, but then he started killing anyone he encountered on his journey just because he could. And, of course, uh, he was lazy about hunting. I mean, this is a repeated, all of this happens because Boone never wants to do any real hard work. And it was just easier to kill someone and eat what they had just hunted instead of going to fend for yourself. So that became his process. So somewhere along his journey, months in, he came across a man who was also making a journey on his own. Okay, and he killed him hoping to eat whatever food supply this man had. Well, the man didn't have a food supply at the time, and Boonhelm was starving. I mean, he was really hungry, to a point where his brain could only think of survival, by any means necessary. And this is when the story changes into something else. Because now, Boonhelm isn't just killing people, he's eating them. I will not be giving you the details. If you want them, read The Kentucky Cannibal by Ryan Green. Just know that Boonhelm cooked up this poor man in the wilderness and ate him. And then the next morning, he did as he always did. He looked for valuables in the man's camp. But this time... Boone couldn't bring himself to look at this man's corpse. Apparently, according to the book, Boonhelm did feel somewhat guilty for what he'd done. But he also felt revived. He was on the brink of starvation, and he brought himself back by doing what he felt had to be done. He was a survivor in his own mind, and he felt strong. So he continued west, uh, which is when he met up with some distant cousins, uh, John, Ham, and William Johnson. They were tough guys. They were Wild West men. But so was everyone else out there. Now, the cousins had some idea that Boone wasn't exactly on the straight and narrow, but they had no idea the extent of it. So they happily rode out to meet him. And uh, he wasn't what they were expecting, of course, because he'd just made this insane solo journey across the country, killing and eating people. So he was tired and scrawny and weak. So they all went out drinking. They kind of took a liking to him. And they all start bragging about who's the toughest, you know? Who, who's the baddest guy here? And... Uh, to end that conversation, Boone informed his cousins that he had just recently eaten a guy. And that was that. <laughs> Can you imagine? Now, none of them really liked to work a lot, okay? Like I said, all these guys were kind of like Boone. They didn't really want to do any hard labor. Um, but they did all, they kind of took turns working. And then they would just kind of mooch off of each other. And so... Um, they did a lot of drinking, and they hung out in body houses, and uh, they were having a good old time. Of course, Boone made enemies. He fought. Uh, he was beating guys nearly to death over nothing. And after a while, with the three cousins, he'd overstayed his welcome. 
They were sick of him. He was a freeloader, and he was more trouble than they cared to deal with. But getting rid of him would be an issue. So this cousin comes to visit you. He's got this horrible reputation that preceded him. And then you find out that he's been murdering and eating people. Now you got to figure out a way to tell him to leave. (laughs) But luckily they didn't have to. Because Boone went and murdered someone in cold blood. And the law was after him again. And so it worked out because Boone was on the run before his cousins ever had to say a word. They also decided, you know, they talked about it, and they were like, we could let everybody know back east that he was here, that he's out here, but they didn't do that for fear of what he might do to them in retaliation. So that was just the end of that. Boone headed for Oregon, and on the way, he became somewhat of a, quote, minor celebrity, collecting an entourage of cutthroats and bandits. He had this main group of guys, uh, six of them, that sort of became his posse, I guess. They were bad dudes. They taught him all sorts of bad things, and he taught them, you know, his tricks of the trade. And, um, you know, life lessons, how to properly rob people at gunpoint. So all these guys are together. They sort of fell into this pattern of robbing people who were becoming rich, from mining. They would stay on the outskirts of town, sort of hide in the shadows. They would rob people on trails. And then they would come into town just briefly, just long enough to get drunk and gamble a little bit. And they'd be out of there before catching the attention of the local sheriff. So they had this system down. And they did have a reputation. I mean, people knew who they were. But they were never around long enough to be arrested for anything. To answer for any of their crimes. So they decided to travel to Camp Floyd in Utah Territory for a change of scenery. The Comstock Lode had recently been discovered there, so that was a huge silver deposit, and they thought maybe they could, you know, get in on that. They made good time the first couple days of their journey when they were in familiar territory. Things were going okay. Then they had to make some big river crossings, which are never fun when you're trying to run from the law. Um, And then it got worse because they realized that while they were crossing this big river, they were being shot at. Uh, They were crossing the, the Raft River. And they realized once they got across the river that their attackers weren't lawmen, but Native Americans. So more bullets were exchanged. It was a messy scene. It went on for a pretty long time. Finally, though, one of Boone's gang members managed to shoot the Native American leader. And so the rest of the group stopped to help him, which gave Boone's gang a chance to get away. So they had to put a safe distance between themselves and the Native Americans Once they thought they had done that, they set up camp for the night on the edge of the Bannock River, uh, still in Oregon. Now, the plan was a few guys would stay up and keep watch while the others slept, and then the next night they would trade off. So Boone wakes up the next morning, rested, to find one of his men with his throat slit from ear to ear, and a horse was missing. 
So he realized that during the night, one of those Native Americans must have snuck up to their camp, killed their guy, and stolen his horse. So really, they had not gotten as far away as they actually needed to. Uh, That was clear now. They decided to veer from their planned course, to go a little off the beaten path. And the problem with this plan was, it was really easy to get lost. And they did. They ended up going in circles, uh, really a big problem because an early winter was coming, and they were beginning to run low on supplies. They arrived at Bear River, uh, following it to Soda Springs, hoping there would be supplies there. There were not. It had been abandoned for the winter. They were able to break into the buildings for shelter, but there wasn't any food. So they decided to keep moving up the Bear River. The weather just got worse as they moved north, and finally they decided they would have to just stop. So they ended up at Thomas Fork, where they found an empty hunting cabin, and that's where they would have to stop for the winter. And that's where I'm going to leave you for the end of part one of Boonhelm's murderous survival story. I guess we'll call it that. Technically, that's what it is, I guess, in a way. Um, So yeah, stay tuned. Uh, I think I'm going to release part one and part two together since I haven't given you all an episode in a while. Uh, So maybe you can binge that right now. Be sure to follow all the social media, KY History Haunts, Kentucky History and Haunts on Facebook and leave a review if you haven't already. I heard that we are about to get uh, reviews on Spotify, so that'll be fun. When we do that, please, uh, please be sure to review the show. And thank you for listening, and that's all the business I've got. See you next time.